Well, here in America these days, we don't just have a lot of things. We have the most things that bring us happiness. We in America enjoy the most entertainment, the most sports, the most movies, the most TV shows. We've got the most vacations, the most cars, the most mansions, the most cruise ships, the most amusement parks and restaurants, the most pleasures, even the most freedoms. All these things are designed to bring us the most happiness. Yet I wonder why it is then that we also in America suffer the most depression. If all this stuff is supposed to make us happy, why are are so many Americans so depressed? Depression statistics in America are staggering. The CDC reports that 11% of Americans 12 years old and up are taking antidepressants. The number is higher in women, especially in their 40s and 50s, of upwards of 23% on antidepressants. That's nearly one in four. Surely this depression trend is related to stress levels. Stress has never been higher. Studies report that one-third of Americans have chronic debilitating stress. Half of millennials, that's people ages 18 to 33, suffer stress that keeps them awake at night. This stress and depression is quite severe for some people, pushing them to the brink. The final escape for some people, sadly, is suicide. Suicide has now surpassed car crashes as the leading cause of injury death in America. And also in the military last year, more U.S. soldiers died by suicide than in combat, sadly. And even worse, though, for a sad few depressed souls who have that one hope left, the hope of of death, they aim to take other people with them when they die. Nearly every school shooting and mass murder in the modern age was committed by someone either on or recently coming off of psychiatric medications or antidepressants. From John Hinckley, who in 1981 took four Valium two hours before shooting President Ronald Reagan, to Eric Harris, who in 1999 was switched off the anti- or switched onto the antidepressant Luvox, not long before shooting several students at Columbine High School. You just go down the list, and it's a, a staggering correlation. And this is not to say that antidepressants made them do it, of course, but it's something to think about. Doctors are prescribing these medications at a staggering rate now, even though their usage is still highly controversial. The list of side effects is pretty scary, and they still come with the FDA's highest warning label, including suicidality. Also, in in 2001, after Andrea Yates drowned all five of her children, while on the antidepressant Effexor, the manufacturer of that drug quietly added homicidal ideation, that means murderous thoughts, to the drug's list of rare side effects. That amazes me that we prescribe a drug today that has murderous thoughts as a potential side effect. But it's rare. It's rare. It's just one in a thousand. That's what they define rare as. But... 19.2 million people are on this drug. So that's still potentially thousands of people who could be having these murderous thoughts. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not interested in making some political point, nor am I interested in going on some tirade against medication. Not at all. Not my concern. But I bring this up by way of introduction just to make a simple point that depression 
in America is a serious problem. It's a serious problem. Countless people are struggling with it. Some of them feel like they're pressed up against a wall. They have no options. Depression can be such a black cloud in a person's life that they actually believe that death is their best option. I mean, how serious is that? How serious is it that a person gets to that point? That's a serious problem. At the same time, Christians are not immune to depression. Christians can certainly experience depression. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century prince of preachers, wrestled with depression his entire life. Yet for those inside the church and out, there's this taboo about depression. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want other people to think something's wrong with you. You have these dark thoughts and feelings, but they go unaddressed, leaving you more miserable. When I hear this, I think people need truth. They need help. They need hope. Where do you go to find help and hope? You should be turning to God's word. This is something we need to talk about and something, more importantly, we need to hear from God on. What does the Bible say about depression? Have you ever thought that? Have you wondered? Do you know? Do you think God has addressed this condition? Because he has. And you need to find out what he says about depression. Not long ago, here on Sunday mornings, we finished studying 1 Peter in the Bible. And next Sunday, we'll be beginning, finally, 2 Peter. Normally, on Sunday mornings, we make our way through a book of the Bible, verse by verse. In between, though, I like to take a little time and think, what does the church need? How can I minister the word to them? And even in my short years, this church, other churches, just in the church abroad, I've come to see so many Christians wrestling with depression. And I know now, always, it's a pertinent issue. This is an important thing to talk about, really, at any time. The church needs God's word on depression. This morning, that's what I want to give to you. We can only say so much. We only have so much time. But I still want you to see God's hope shine through like a ray of sunlight. Admittedly, this is going to be more like a, more like a Bible study than a sermon. But that's okay. I just want you to become aware of the major passages in the Bible that deal with and address depression. And you're going to find the answers to those most basic questions about depression. What is depression? What causes depression? And then what can you do about depression, according to the Bible? In fact, these three questions will serve us well by way of an outline just to give us some structure to this Bible study. So today our aim, it's pretty simple, to study the Bible on depression, answering these three most basic questions. Study the Bible on depression, answering these three most basic questions. It's simple enough for sure, but but for some, these simple truths from God's word can be truly life-changing. And I hope that you can find hope through them. I'll begin with this, this first question just to give us some structure. What is depression? And it's a good thing to start with. Let's clearly define what we're talking about here. What is depression? Well, first off, depression is in the Bible. There are several examples of depression in the Bible, several descriptions of depression as well. Even among godly people, Jonah and Elijah, for example, two prophets of God, 
At one point in their ministry, they came to the end of the ropes. They were so dejected and downcast over the state of their ministries, they just ran away and they cried out for God to just kill them. They got to the point where they were so depressed, they actually believed death would have been better than life. We have another example of depression from King David. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 32. We're going to be looking at several of his psalms to show you, to begin with, a description of depression in the Bible. Begin with Psalm 32. Here is David, a godly man, a man after God's own heart. Yet at times he was greatly distressed. And what David experienced we would quickly label as depression. And we're going to look at a couple of David's psalms where he just pours out his soul in personal reflection. We're going to start with Psalm 32. We're going to come back to the psalm later. just want to begin with reading a couple of verses. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 32. He writes, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Just notice for now, David's symptoms. He, he was groaning inside, outside, all day long, continually, 24-7. It felt like he was trapped, like he was pinned down, like, like someone, even God, was just stepping on his stomach. His vitality was drained away. It's like something was just sucking the life out of him. You get this picture that physically and emotionally, in body and spirit, he was just in misery, and it wasn't going away. And this we would quickly label as depression. Now we're going to come back to Psalm 32. We're going to build the context. It's very important, but I want you to, to jump ahead to Psalm 38. Look at another description of depression in the Bible, Psalm 38. This is another Psalm of David where he describes a point in his life where he had this, this downcast soul. Look at verse 6. He says, I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am numbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Again, David, he's just buckled over with these feelings like he's in mourning. It's continual. This is all day long, morning, night. It's not going away. It's affecting him physically like there's a burning coal in his stomach. It's affecting him spiritually like he's being crushed under this weight of despair. This is what we would call depression. Depression is not really a feeling. It sometimes can come with a feeling of sadness, but sometimes it can come with no feelings at all. Depression can sometimes be this disturbing lack of feeling. It's this frightening numbness. You're just numb. Depression is not so much a feeling as it is a state of being. It's a downcast and dejected condition of the soul. I think Proverbs 18.14 puts it perfectly. Just listen to this verse, Proverbs 18, verse 14. It says, The spirit of a man can endure sickness. But as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Depression is a broken spirit. It's when your spirit 
breaks. That's what depression is. Your inner person just gives up. Humans can endure unthinkable suffering and torment, even torture, as long as they have just a little bit of hope. But when that hope is gone, they sink into despair. They can't even bear getting up from bed. When your spirit is broken, nothing matters. You've got no concerns, no desires, no purpose, no motivation, no aim anymore. Just it doesn't matter. We're going to get to what causes this in a little bit. But just understand, when, when your spirit is broken, there, there's no more fight in you. You've got no more hope. All the while, don't think of depression like a light switch, where you know, you're either depressed or you're not, on or off. It's more like a dimmer, a light dimmer. It's a spectrum. Depression has ranges that differ from person to person. For some, their spirit breaks down all the time. For others, seldom. For some, their inner despair is intense. And for others, it, it's light. It's not that bad. There's no real line to cross that makes you all of a sudden depressed. Like if you're sad for two straight days or three straight days or two weeks, and all of a sudden you're now officially depressed. It's not like a line in the sand. You can enter a state of depression in just five minutes, and it can last for just five minutes. Or it can be days, weeks. It, it's a spectrum, not a line in the sand. And this spectrum can happen to anybody. Depression can affect anyone. No one is immune. Any person can face a potentially broken spirit or a loss of hope. We'll see this more developed later, but depression has an inverse relationship to hope. The more your hope in life dwindles, the, greater your, the more your depression grows, the bigger it gets. And when all hope is lost, a person enters the utter darkness. And at this extreme, since all hope in life has been extinguished, there only remains hope in one thing, death. And sadly, tragically, some people never escape that darkness. So briefly, to, to put this all together, what is depression? It's a brokenness of spirit. It's a dejection of the soul. It's a despairing of the inner person where hope dwindles like a dying flame. It can affect anyone. It can affect you. It might be affecting you right now. Have you experienced this? Have you felt this heaviness? Have you felt the darkness? Chances are you have. Again, depression is serious. It can drain your vitality, like David said. It can make you sick. It can curl you over physically even. And for Christians, even worse, depression can make you totally ineffective for God. It can completely disable you from doing what God calls you to do, from serving him, even worshiping him. It can thwart your spiritual life. So this is a problem. Depression is a problem. So what's the solution? What do you do about this? What can be done about this problem? Well, before we get to that, before we talk solution, we need to find out what causes depression. Well, what's the cause? Surely, if you get the cause wrong, you're going to get the solution wrong. So now we need to consider this, this second question by way of, of outline. What causes depression? What is depression now? What, what causes depression? It's an important question. 
Now, I feel the need, before we get to what the Bible says about this, I feel the need to, to talk about this, this huge issue that comes up today that everyone asks, that everyone wants to know. When it comes to de- the cause of depression, is depression biological? Is depression biological? In other words, is it your brain's fault? It's just a brain disease. It's a common question, and I feel the need, we have to talk about it. Today, scientists believe depression is linked to brain chemistry. Your brain has all these neurotransmitters, and they relay messages about yourself to your brain. And it's thought that when neurotransmitter levels are low, specifically serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, when those go down, it delays or hinders these messages from being sent, which they believe negatively affects your mood. You get depressed. Antidepressants, by the way, work by one way or another, increasing these neurotransmitter levels. Hopefully improving your mood, but it doesn't always work. Scientists acknowledge there's still so much they don't understand about how neurotransmitter levels affect the mood. In fact, the whole idea of depression being linked to neurotransmitter levels, it's still listed as a theory on the U.S. government's National Institute of Mental Health. This is probably why antidepressants are far from a cure. Some of you may even be on them, and you know it hasn't cured your depression. If depression were as simple as low neurotransmitter levels, antidepressants would work 100% of the time. But they don't. Sometimes they make depression worse. For others, studies show that the positive effects are pretty much just the placebo effect. It's the hope in the pill itself. All this goes to say that depression is not purely biological, which scientists actually, they admit, doctors know it's not purely biological, much more so what they call psychological. It's a psychological problem, which actually that's just how unbelievers describe what we would call spiritual. Depression is a problem of the soul. Now now understand, sometimes for certain, depression has biological roots. There are certain diseases which legitimately produce depression in a person. Thyroid disease, cancer, postpartum hormones. There can be a biological link to depression in some people. That's fine. If this is the case, your body is malfunctioning, medicine can fix it, nothing wrong with that. But here's the real question that most people have when it comes to depression. What about when a person is depressed but there's no medical reason? And most cases of depression by far are like this. You don't have cancer. You don't have a thyroid disease. So what's causing your depression? What's the cause? Could it be spiritual? Unbelievers don't like that word. They don't want to go down that road. So they label it psychological. But even they realize that, call it what you want, your soul, your psyche, your mind, whatever is affecting your brain and your body. There's some inner problem that's affecting your outer man. Have you ever heard of the mind-body connection? The mind-body connection. It's actually a biblical concept. It's just another way of saying your inner person, your spirit, can affect your body, your outer person. And I'll prove it to you right now. Think about public speaking. What if tomorrow at noon you had to give a speech for an hour long in front of a thousand people. You have 24 hours to prepare. Go. 
How would that make you feel? For a lot of you, you're already starting to freak out. You're already starting to sweat a little bit. See, stage fright, for some people, it's debilitating. You know, the fear of public speaking. What happens to them? Just the thought. Their heart races. Your mouth gets dry. Your legs start to shake. Your hands sweat. You feel sick to your stomach. You might even throw up. What is causing that? How does that happen? There's no medical or biological cause to all that, all that physical effect. Rather, something is going on in your mind, which in turn is affecting your brain and your body. Your mind, your psyche, we would say your spirit is under stress and it's triggering your brain to release cortisol, adrenaline, saliva, sweat, you know, the whole nine yards. And so your brain, your body chemistry get all mixed up What's the real cause of that? It's not a disease. It's you. It's your mind, your spirit. Depression is the same way. Even on U.S. government websites, other than the diseases we talked about, like like thyroid disease, cancer, not a single medical cause of depression is listed. There's not one. There's no medical cause for it listed. All the causes that are listed are circumstantial and non-medical. Abuse. Conflict, death of a loved one, loss, major events, personal problems. So what does that tell you? That's what's listed as the causes of depression. What what does that tell you? What's really going on when someone gets depressed? Something bad happens in life. You lose a loved one. You lose your job. Life just isn't going the way you want. This external circumstance affects your spirit your mind, which in turn leads to physical symptoms, just like stage fright, the the sickness in your stomach, the the anxiety. Whereas stage fright causes your brain to release cortisol and adrenaline, it's entirely possible, still not proven, that life stress causes your brain to reduce those neurotransmitter levels. That's totally possible. But even if that's the case, what's the real cause? What's causing that to happen? It's not brain chemistry. It's a spiritual conflict. Something going on in your soul, your inner man, is causing that. Understand, this is actually not a controversial conclusion. It's not controversial at all. Doctors acknowledge that for most people, their depression is psychological. I mean, after all, how did they diagnose depression? Do you know? How did they diagnose depression? There's no test. There's not a single objective test for depression. No blood test, no CT scan, no MRI. They're not scanning your brain. The doctor might test you physically, but he's not testing for depression. He's testing to rule out the other medical causes. Okay, you don't have cancer, you don't have thyroid disease. Once they rule out all the medical causes, the diagnosis for depression becomes what? An interview, a psychological interview. And through a series of multiple choice psychological questions, they're going to evaluate your mental health. And call it what you will, it's just another way of saying that even secular doctors realize something non-medical is going on. Something psychological, something spiritual, even though they would never call it by that name, something is causing your depression. Depression, for most, it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. Now, if that's the case, there's still one more question we need to address that that everyone asks, and you need to know the answer. You need to be equipped on it. 
well, should you take antidepressants? What about antidepressants? Because they're, they're prescribing them like candy today, so should you take them? And I want to give you a few things to consider. Understand, this is not a sin issue. Taking antidepressants is not a sin issue. It's a wisdom issue, a spiritual wisdom issue. But you still need to be wise. Understand that antidepressants are not a cure for depression. They simply cover up its symptoms. If they work, they, they just cover up the symptoms. Antidepressants are a band-aid approach. They're not dealing with the true cause of depression, just the effects of depression. It's like when you're a kid, your parents made you go out and pull weeds. They tell you, look, it's not going to be enough to just use a lawnmower. That's going to make the, lo- the yard look nice, but the weeds are just going to come right back. You've got to go one by one and pull them by the root. Well, antidepressants are not a root-level solution. They're not a root-level solution. I don't think we need to villainize antidepressants at all. We don't need to villainize them. Sometimes you might need a Band-Aid. But if you really want to stop the bleeding in the first place, you need something more than a Band-Aid. You need to uncover the real spiritual causes to your depression and then deal with them. So now we ask, what are these? What are these spiritual causes behind depression? Well, you're not going to find out from the drug companies or from your unbelieving psychologist. In their rejection of God, they're blind to spiritual truth. That's why they're clueless when it comes to depression. But God's word has these answers. So now that you see depression is, for most people, actually a spiritual issue, I want to show you from God's word some of the underlying spiritual causes of depression. There are two main ones in particular that we can cover with our time. Two main ones in particular. The first is this. It's not applies to everybody, but it might apply to you. The first spiritual cause of depression is, for some, unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. And you're definitely not going to hear this from a psychologist, but seeing that they reject God, the Bible, and sin to begin with, I wouldn't listen to much of what they have to say at all. But according to Scripture, this is not a mystery. This is not uh, controversial. It's really obvious. Sin breeds depression. Sin breeds depression. That's actually supposed to happen. Turn back to Psalm 32. You should actually still be close if you're in your... Psalm 38. Psalm 32 again. We read these verses before about King David's depression. But notice how David himself describes what was causing this depression. Look for for now in verse 3. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. What was causing this? When I kept silent about my sin. Now, surely you remember what sin David is talking about here, don't you? It's murder and adultery. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Later, he had her husband Uriah killed. And these were terrible sins before the Lord. And David did not repent of them for how long? Nearly a year. Nearly a year. After about a year, though, he does repent by God's grace. God does forgive him. 
And Psalms 32 and 51 are his recorded confessions before God, his psalms of repentance before God. It's what we're reading. But he tells us in this psalm that in that year where he wasn't repenting, he was keeping silent about his sin, he wasn't dealing with it, he wasn't repenting, what happened? What did that do to him? What did it lead to? Depression. It caused his depression. This intense spiritual depression with with even physical side effects. His soul was miserable. Even his body was affected. And what was his cause? Sin. Unrepentant sin. Sin breeds depression, and it's on purpose. God has designed sin to have several side effects. Did you know that? Like guilt and shame. Those are built-in side effects of sin. And they're there to tell you, look, you've just done something wrong and you need to make it right before God. But if you don't make your sin right before God through repentance, another side effect of your sin kicks in, depression. And depression is there to tell you that your sin is not worth it. Depression tells you your sin is not worth it. It's never worth it. And the life of the unrighteous before God is hard. That's what Proverbs 13.15 says. The way of the wicked is hard. Look at verse 10 of Psalm 32. What what does he say? He, He himself notices, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many. Romans chapter 2 verse 9 says this, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Tribulation and distress for the soul of man who does evil. It's not rocket science. If you persist in doing what is wrong before God in time, you will reap what you sow in the next life, even in this life. And you will harvest a crop of misery. And notice the contrast, though, with those who deal with their sin before God. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 32, how he begins after he had repented. He says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. In Hebrew, the word blessed is the nearest equivalent to the word happy. Just how happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. This is the opposite of depression. If you persist in sin without repentance, you should expect depression. That's normal. It's God's way of saying, look, your life of sin is not worth it. Turn back to me. And you'll be happy. If you seek his forgiveness, if you turn away from your sin, the cloud breaks, the sun shines through, and blessedness results. Your soul can rejoice because the burden of sin and the weight of guilt has been lifted. So the first major cause of depression for some people is unrepentant sin. The second major cause of depression for other people is this. Suffering in a fallen world. Suffering in a fallen world. Understand me very clearly. Be very clear here. Not everyone who is depressed has unrepentant sin to blame. That's not true. Not everyone who is depressed has some sin to blame. And what if what if you haven't really done anything you know, wrong or you know, what if you're, you're a Christian, you, you believe in Christ, you turn to him, you do your best to repent of, all, of your sin all the time, you're following him, 
but you're still depressed. Well, what's going on? Well, sometimes, oftentimes, depression comes simply as a result of living and suffering in a fallen world. Sooner or later, your loved ones are going to die. Sooner or later, you're going to be persecuted. Sooner or later, something bad is going to happen to you. And for some people, that can lead to depression. This has nothing to do with their personal sin. They're they're just dejected by their sufferings. Turn now to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Psalms 42 and 43 were most likely originally one psalm. They're two of the 11 psalms written by the sons of Korah, the Korites. These guys were like the, the worship leaders in Jerusalem with the temple. But this guy in Psalm 42, he was displaced from Jerusalem. We don't know when or why or how. Most think this was during Israel's exile. Either way, this Korahite was separated from temple worship. He was separated from Jerusalem. He felt separated from God. At the same time, he was being severely oppressed and taunted by his enemies, possibly his captors. And all this turmoil in life caused him to be what? Guess what? Depressed. He tells us about his depression in Psalm 42. Look at verse 3. He says, My tears have become my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? He's not eating. He's not sleeping. He's crying all the time. He's being taunted by his enemies. Look at verse 5. Why are you in despair? Oh, my soul. Why have you become disturbed within me? He actually repeats this same phrase three times. Down in verse 11, chapter 43, verse 5. He understands he's got a spiritual problem. He's bewildered by it. He doesn't understand why this is happening to him. At one point, he feels like he's dying of thirst. At another point, he feels like he's drowning, verse 7, just being crushed by the waves of God. Look at verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where's your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Why is this guy so depressed and dejected? It doesn't appear to have anything to do with his personal sin. It doesn't seem like he's done anything to to bring this about. Rather, he's just suffering in a fallen world. Bad things are happening to him. They're just wearing him down. This world is fallen because of sin. It's messed up. Bad things happen. And when they happen to you, when you lose a loved one, you lose your job, you lose everything you care about, good luck not feeling downcast. Good luck. Anyone is susceptible to this. Circumstances can affect your soul. They can make you feel dejected, downtrodden, depressed. This doesn't mean you should stay down, though, as as if there's nothing you can do about it. And I trust you know well at this church, God uses bad things, terrible circumstances, even suffering for good, for good purposes. 
So what is God trying to do to teach you through the difficulties of your life? How do you think he wants you to respond? Sadly, many people never rightly respond, and so their depression seemingly lasts forever. Something bad happens. Some some problem comes up in life. They wrongly respond to that problem. That leads to more problems. Each of those new problems makes them even more depressed. And the downward cycle just continues. never ends. Are you depressed? Have you struggled with depression? Depression is real. It's serious. For most people, the cause is not medical. It's spiritual. There's something going on beneath the surface spiritually. It's not the same for every person. But you need to discern what's really going on spiritually, and then you need to rightly respond. And you need to rightly respond. We've talked about what depression is, what are these spiritual causes. Now it's time to get to this this third question of ours, getting to the right response. What can you do about depression? Third question now, what can you do about depression? We obviously only have a limited amount of time talk about this for several sermons, but I want to equip you with some of the basics about what you can do and should do about depression. You know, if you feel the need, go ahead. Talk to your doctor. Get checked out. See if you have some physical disease, thyroid disease, cancer that could be affecting your mood. Do. That is a good thing. But for most, you need to consider the spiritual causes behind your depression and then rightly respond to those. So first, what if Your personal sin is to blame. If this is the case for you, it's usually not a mystery. You most likely know deep down that you're harboring sin in your life and you're rebelling against God. If your conscience is still functioning, that's going to eat away at you. It's going to bother you over time unless you're truly hardened. Unrepentant sin in your life is meant to be a burden. It's meant to not make you happy. That's the point. And if that's your problem, the last thing you want is a pill that will hide those effects. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. If you are out there and you you reject Christ and you reject God and you live in sin and rebellion, it doesn't make you feel so good and you can just have a magic pill to make those bad feelings go away, that's the worst thing that could happen to you. Because those bad feelings are the only thing left telling you, I'm not right with God. I need to turn to Christ, or I will never get out of this. And it's true. So here the response, it's pretty obvious. Repent. Confess your sin before God. Acknowledge your wrongdoing. Turn away from the sin. Ask God to forgive you based on Christ's finished work on the cross. He'll forgive you every time. Christ already paid the debt for your every sin. There's nothing left for you to pay. You must simply go to him And turning to Christ for forgiveness is the only way for the burden of sin to be lifted, which for some is the cause of their depression. Isn't this what King David did in Psalm 32? If you will, you're you're pretty close. Turn back to Psalm 32 one last time. Notice what he says. For him, in this instance, he identified the cause of his depression being his sin. This massive, unrepentant sin in his life. But he finally came to the right solution and noticed the effect. Verse 1, 
How blessed is he whose transgression transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. If you want to see even more of what repentance looks like, read Psalm 51 on your own, David's fuller psalm of repentance before the Lord. And as a result, he was blessed. The cloud lifted. He could breathe that that sigh of relief again. When you're depressed, you feel like you're being pinned down under a huge rock. It's, It's just heavy. It's crushing your spirit. You can't lift it off of you. And that's accurate. You cannot lift it. But God can. And if your personal sin is to blame, repent and God will lift the rock. He promises to forgive you every single time because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. So do you trust Jesus? Do you believe in him? Continually be turning away from your sins, turning toward him in faith, and sin will not get you down. You can enjoy the blessedness that comes from forgiveness in Christ. Now, like I said, this may not be the cause of your depression, though. Maybe you're you're just struggling with living in a fallen world. Maybe you're an empty nester. And the thought of your kids being grown up and gone just gets you down. They don't call you anymore. It's just hard. Maybe you're a new parent. And you know your, your kids are supposed to make you happy, but you're just so stressed and you don't have time to do things you want to do anymore that make you happy. Maybe you're later in life and you have a lot of regret and they just keep coming back into your mind, bring you down every morning. Maybe you're in your prime, but life is just not working out like you planned. You thought by this age you'd have more money, your job would be better, but now your job is terrible, there's so much conflict in your family, it's just not working out. Sometimes life can get you down. So what do you do about this? Well, if this is your problem, if this describes you, you need to understand your problem is not your depression. Your problem is your hope. You have a hope problem. Let me explain. This is hugely important. You have a hope problem. Like I said earlier, depression is either a full or partial loss of hope. That's what differentiates the sad and the depressed. Those who are depressed, they've lost hope. Purpose, motivation, drive. The solution to this is to get hope. That's all you have to do. Get hope and your depression will be resolved. But you have to be very careful where you get that hope. Don't find hope in the wrong things. Chances are that's why you became depressed in the first place because you put your hope in the wrong things. Here's what happens. A lot of people, they build up these false hopes in their lives. And then when these hopes are taken away from them, from them, or they fall through. What are they left with? They get depressed. Listen to this. Everyone, everyone gets sad when a loved one dies. But why do some people get depressed? It's because their hope was in that loved one. Or that loved one was their world. Everyone gets down when they lose a job. Everyone. Why do some people get depressed over it? 
because their hope was in that job, that paycheck. Everyone gets dejected when their marriage hasn't turned out the way they wanted or their kids or their career or their health. Why do some people get depressed over these things? Because their hope was in their marriage, their kids, their career, their health. These things aren't bad, but they're bad places to put your hope. And if you're, if you're living for these things, you will be disappointed. Sooner or later, these hopes will fail you. And when they do, depression. What's really to blame? It's you're putting your hope in the wrong things. You have hoped in the wrong things. What should you be hoping for? Not a hard question. You know the answer. I hope. I trust. God. God alone should be your hope. The only true hope is God. All of their hopes are feeble. Sometimes, though, you let these rival hopes come in and capture your heart. But they always leave you feeling empty. That's because God wants us to hope in him alone. And he designed us to find happiness only when we are hoping in him. It's how we're designed. If you're hoping in and living for something in this world, something, anything other than God, then of course you're going to be depressed. Of course. Sooner or later, that thing is going to fail you. And then what do you have? You don't have God. You haven't been hoping in him. You've got nothing. You may skip from one hope to the next, but eventually they're all going to fail. What do you have? Depression. God never fails. I mean, just think, if your true hope in life was God, just knowing him, serving him, being with him, being saved by him, worshiping him, what could possibly get you down? Nothing. Because nothing can take your hope away. That hope cannot be ever lost. So hopefully you understand if your depression is not due to sin but more circumstantial, what you really have is a hope problem. How do you fix your hope problem? Let's talk about that. Step one, unearth rival hopes. Step one, unearth rival hopes. You need to figure out what have you really been living for? What have you truly been hoping in? What are your if-onlys? You know what that means? Your if-onlys? Follow along. You fill in the blank. If only blank, my life would be better. If only blank, I would be happy. If only blank, I wouldn't be depressed. How'd you fill in the blank? And whatever it is, whatever you said, even if it's not a bad thing, if it's not God, you know why you're depressed. It may not be something sinful, but if your answer is not the Lord, you have a problem. You need to identify what you've been living for and then reorient your hope toward God and his promises. The second step is to replace that competing hope with God. Unearth the rival hopes and then replace them with the Lord. Hope in God. What does that mean? It means you're living for God. Like we learned last week, the chief end of your life is to to glorify God, to live for him, to enjoy him. Hoping God means trusting God. You trust his will. You trust his sovereignty. You trust his plan for your life. Even if that takes you through a few valleys, you trust his plan. Because you also trust his promises. 
these eternal, unbreakable promises to save you, promises to bless you, promises to redeem you. You have heaven. If you know Christ, you have eternal life to look forward to. What could depress you? What could possibly depress you? That being said, this is not easy. This is not always easy. Because sin and suffering make it a real fight to keep God your main hope. This is a fight. But it's a worthy fight. Fight to replace these competing hopes in your life with God. Isn't this what the psalmist does in Psalm 42? Do you remember? Three times he says this. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? And then three times, right after that, he says what? Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. He understood. He's talking to himself. I get the problem. I get the solution. I need to hope in God. Asaph concludes the same thing in Psalm 73. We didn't have time to look at that psalm in detail, Psalm 73, but it's another psalm written by a guy struggling with depression, just like a lot of the psalms. Life for Asaph wasn't turning out like he thought it would. The wicked were prospering. The righteous were suffering, including him. Now, why is this happening? He was depressed. But he remembers and resolves in the end, Psalm 73, verses 25, 26, He says to God, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Well, let me throw one more at you. Psalm 146, verse 5. How blessed, how happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. How blessed is he whose hope is in the Lord. So when it comes to depression, this is the most important thing you can do. Hope and trust in God. You need to remind yourself all the time of who God is, what he has done for you in Christ, what you have waiting for you by his promises. What what do we look forward to because of Christ? We look forward to a time when, Revelation 21 verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, crying, pain. The first things have passed away. That's in Christ. Doesn't that sound nice? That future hope of glory is yours if you know Christ and if you hope in him. So is your hope in him? Yes, this is a future hope, but it breaks into the present. You come to the place where you realize and you firmly resolve, God is good. I'm going to trust him, come what may. I'm going to hope in him, whatever happens, then you're going to be blessed. Whatever happens, even if terrible things happen in your life, you're still going to be blessed and happy because you have the Lord and nothing, neither distress nor tribulation nor suffering nor sickness, nothing can take away from you hope in the Lord. Again, hoping like God, or hoping in God like this all the time, it's a fight against sin. It's a fight against the flesh. Yet to win this fight, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his book on spiritual depression, to win the fight, you need to stop, listen, you need to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. 
Stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. That's, that's good wisdom right there. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't listen to those thoughts of gloom, thoughts of hoping in other things, thoughts of doubt. Instead, talk to yourself. Tell yourself the truth. Preach the gospel to yourself all the time. Remind yourself daily of all things true about God. This also is not rocket science. The spiritual cure for depression, it's, it's simple. But at the same time, it's, it's hard. It's hard because of the sin, because of suffering. Because we are weak and fragile creatures. But, but practically speaking, as a final note here, can I let you know this is where the church comes in? Practically speaking, you want to endure the fight, you want to need help in the fight, this is where the church comes in. When you're depressed, you're at your weakest. It can be hard to fight toward God. Sometimes you have no fight left in you. That's when you need brothers and sisters around you, those who love you, to come by your side, to fight with you, to fight for you. The worst thing you can do when battling depression is to battle alone. God has placed you in the body of Christ for this reason, to help one another. There are going to be times when, when you're weak and I'm strong and you need my help. There's going to be times when I'm weak and you're strong and I need your help. That's the whole point, one of the points of the church. God has placed us in this body for that reason, that we would constantly be helping the weaker members. If you're too weak to speak the truth to yourself, you need someone in your life who will speak the truth to you. And the role of the body is essential. Turn to those around you in the church that they might help you turn more to God. At this point, I could tell you other practical things to do about depression, like get plenty of sleep, eat good food, exercise, get some recreation. That's all good stuff. That's all wise counsel. Absolutely. But no amount of physical exertion alone will cure your spiritual problem. And we're interested in the cure. You need to run to the Lord. Find him in scripture. Find him in prayer. Find him in the church. Turn especially to the Psalms. Derive strength from those who have struggled before you. God himself is the answer to depression. If you find your hope in him, you will be blessed. Today I hope we have lifted the curtain on what the Bible says about depression. Answer these three basic questions. What is depression? What causes depression? What can you do about depression? Is there more? Of course. There's always more. And so let me just say, you know, if you're out there, if you're sitting there right now and you're battling depression, don't stay silent and don't fight alone. People struggle with depression in unique ways. And if you feel you need help and counsel more finely tuned to what you're going through in life, Come see me. Come see one of the elders. Reach out to someone. And we would like nothing more than to minister to you and to extend to you the real hope of God and the gospel and to show you the, the light that is in Christ. But I pray for all of you today that you all find a greater hope and comfort and strength in God. And I want to close and end with a, an early benediction found in the book of Romans, Romans 15, 13. Write down that verse and remember this verse. Romans 15, verse 13. And I pray that God will grant you his hope. Romans 15, 13 says this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the God of hope. You're the God of all hope and nothing but hope. And in you, only hope is found. Let us find and derive our hope and our strength, our comfort from you alone. Lord, in our sin, in our rebellion, there is no hope. A turning from you, rejecting you, all hope is lost and abandoned. Sin breeds despair and depression. We know that. We've experienced that. Every time we sin, it, it, it pains us because we know we are sinning against our holy and loving and good God, our Creator. But you provide hope for us through Christ, your Son, whom you sent to live, to die on the cross, to bear our sin, our shame, our guilt, our depression, to rise again. By faith in him, Lord, we have hope of forgiveness, hope of new life, hope of eternal life, all by your grace. Thank you for this hope. I pray for those here who are, who are battling depression, that they would hope in you, that they would turn to Christ. It is a good thing to consider our lives, to, to inspect ourselves. Do we have sin before you? May they consider if they are harboring some sin in their heart, and may they deal with it, taking it before the cross in repentance. But either way, Lord, help them to just run to you more, to cling to the cross, to hope in, in you alone, that they may find strength and endurance to, to live on. Life is hard. It's full of suffering. It's full of terrible things because we live in a fallen world. But there will be a time when that world will not be fallen, when you will redeem all things. That's our hope. It's in you. It's in Christ. Help us to run, to strive after you, to be strong in your hope. Bless us, and may we be people who can show the world that real blessedness comes only from the Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.